Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Sunday Take. It is January 15th, 2023. I'm Blois Olson, your host. Week two of the legislative session and a busy week ahead. Tax conformity signed. And what are the issues that aren't getting the attention? We'll talk about those and we'll check in with Mary Lahammer on this edition of the Sunday Take. Legalizing marijuana. Codifying abortion. All of these issues are getting a ton of attention at the legislature. And for Democrats, that's important. It signals to their base that they're serious about the issues that their core constituencies, their activists care about. Republicans are amazingly quiet. They're not pushing back hard. In fact, this week at the tax conformity bill signing, you had legislative leaders, you had bipartisan members kind of singing kumbaya. It's not expected to last, but we'll ask Mary LaHammer about the tone, the tenor, and the personalities of this session. And then We'll also talk to Senators Jim Abler and John Hoffman, a Republican and a Democrat who care about the same issues, but their issues don't seem to be getting the attention. But yet, most people agree we have a crisis with human services care and senior care in Minnesota, including the fact that we can't get PCAs approved fast enough to take care of people, people who want to work, who want to care for people. And there's a backlog of licensing at DHS, as reported by WCCO-TV this week. Those issues might not be as shiny and fun as legalizing marijuana, but they're important. And since they're important, I think it's important that we shine some light on them, that we let people know that there's a billion-dollar gap in senior care and human services funding. Governor Walls addressed it in an interview with Almanac last week, but it hasn't been part of a press release. It hasn't been part of a news conference. Instead, it's about the agenda forward, paid medical leave, paying for students' lunches across the state. Those are the energizing issues for Democrats. How do we find energy for the issues of things that we need throughout Minnesota. We're going to hear a lot about childcare. We're going to hear a lot about paid family medical leave. Be one of the reasons you need paid family medical leave in many cases is to care for an aging or ailing parent or grandparent or a sick child. And that's in the human services budget. And that's where Senator Hoffman and 
Senator Abler will discuss things in the next segment. In this upcoming week, I'll be at Ag Expo in Mankato, providing live updates to various shows. Governor Walls is expected to be there. The state of the ag economy will be one of the topics as we go forward here. The other thing that we're watching is to see kind of how the new commissioners on education, on revenue, how they start to shape the agenda. And we hope to have multiple new commissioners on Sunday Take in the weeks to come. When we come back, Senators Jim Abler and John Hoffman. But first, a message from Minnesota Corn. It's the Minnesota Corn Sustainability Minute. The sustainability means different things for different people. Some people, it means renewable energy. Other means planting methods that replenish the soil. Sustainability ultimately should revitalize our community, providing resources so they can be successful. There's such a global focus on sustainability, but we should know that locally here in Minnesota, Minnesota corn growers have a local focus. They've been continuously working to make sure sustainability is at the core of corn farmers throughout the state with a comprehensive approach to ensure a healthy planet and to make sure our communities remain vibrant. After all, sustainability is about the future for future generations. That's why Minnesota Corn invests in educational programs for our kids, including Minnesota agriculture in the classroom. That reached 132,000 Minnesota students just last year. Minnesota Corn also supports 4-H agronomy and horticulture programs, giving 15,000 students across Minnesota the skills needed to pursue careers in agriculture, understanding the sustainable future of agriculture. Ultimately, sustainability is about supporting communities beyond the farm. Things like renewable fuels help us breathe a little easier, cut our carbon footprint, and reduce emissions from those tailpipes. That's what clean fuels, and that's what Minnesota corn growers stand for. The ultimate measurement of sustainability is and should be at the core of everything ag and Minnesota corn do, and it is. They'll continue to invest in research and renewable products that benefit the environment because Minnesota corn farmers are constantly looking to make sure the planet is better than it was before. Minnesota corn farmers have successfully done this for generations and they'll continue to do it for generations to come. That's the Sustainability Minute from Minnesota Corn. Learn more at mncorn.com. I'm Blaise Olson. Up next, Jim Abler and John Hoffman. This is Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Our first segment this week on Sunday Take is with two veteran senators who have kind of reversed roles this session, Senator John Hoffman and Senator Jim Abler. The best part about this is that they're friends, different parties, and they care deeply about the same issues. And I wanted to have them on Sunday Take this week because there's a lot of issues that are getting a lot of attention this session early on. They're getting headlines. They're getting... TV coverage, but there's a lot of issues that maybe aren't or issues that are fundamental to our state from long-term care or human services that these two gentlemen have worked on a long time. So, Senator Hoffman, Senator Abler, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Man, it's good to be here, boys. Awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. So, um, since Senator Hoffman's now in the majority, we'll start with him. What does it feel like to be in the majority? And... um, how do you see kind of your caucus setting up for what seems to be a, a session that's off to a fast start? So the, you, you asked how does it feel to be in the majority, right? So we're going to talk about the six kinds of feelings that are there. Well, not I, six I, of them. I, Just go with one or two. One or two. It, it, you know, I don't think anything changes regarding the relationship I have with Jim Abler. I've known him for 20 some years, boys. And you know, I, I one of my favorite stories is we were doing a town hall, a joint town hall, and people are like, "You guys are doing a joint town hall," and and this was a few years ago, and Jim said, "Yep, I'm a Republican and John's a Democrat," and then he paused and he said, "So what? We don't care. What's really important is the fact that we focus on the things that matter. Human lives matter, right? And 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 these are folks yep. that." are usually forgotten about. And and Jim has been a huge uh, supporter of that. And, and the other thing, boys, is when we were in the mi- minority, Jim actually was able to access everybody on that committee and find out what their lane of expertise or what they wanted to work on. And he, and he utilized it. So um, I don't think anything changes regarding that, boys. Senator Abler, as you are in a different role this year, I know your calendar is a little less full, but how do you... Approach advocating for the issues that you've been passionate about in your entire time in the legislature. Well, I'm really fortunate to have a chair as gifted and as passionate uh, and talented as as John. Um, it's it's no effort at all in our committee to try to find a way to care about people with disabilities or seniors or people that need some uh, human services, uh, you know, assistance in some way. Um, but it is different, obviously. He's the chair, and I'm and I'm his uh, 
there to support his work. And I don't see any competition in that, which I think I've been trying to model that all along. And I'm happy that uh, he's going to try to continue that. Sir Hoffman, Democrats uh, have obviously come out of the gate. We had the tax conformity bill um, signed by the governor last week, but Democrats are talking a lot about marijuana legalization, codifying abortion rights, um, getting ready for a budget. One of the issues, especially in human services, that I know you and Senator Abler have worked about is worked on a lot together is seniors and things like that. How do you is it just do the work and not worry about the headlines or how do you talk to your caucus about the importance of those issues when there's these shiny objects that keep getting attention right now? Yeah, that, that to me is the biggest mystery boys, because I, you know, the things that we should be caring about, and I say we should be right. Or, you know, grandpa and grandma are the most vulnerable people, people with disabilities in the state of Minnesota. And, and it's like all of a sudden we know we know because we're living in this bubble that Jim and I have lived in for the last you know, few years, looking at the fact that you know, we have the more people 65 and older in the history of Minnesota than we do in K-12 education, you know, 1.3 yep. million people, right? And we were saying that's going to happen, that's going to happen. This is going to affect the system, the system, meaning group homes, assisted living, nursing home facilities, transitional care units, all that stuff, right? We were saying that this was going to happen. And it was almost like people would go, yeah, well, let's do this, right? And then all of a sudden, we get some kind of priority. But boys, it's not enough. $1.825 billion in the surplus should have been spent on those folks that I just talked about. And that's really, it's frustrating for me. And it almost feels like, does anybody else hear this message? And maybe I'm not you know, branding it right, Jim. I don't know. I mean, that's the, I think that's the biggest mystery for me is why. Sir Abler, um, Jim, as chair and when Republicans had the Senate, you used senior funding and human services funding as a lever, right? You said, if we're going to do the things the House Democrats want, then we have to do what Senate Republicans want, especially when it comes to seniors. As, as you're out talking to normal people, let's, let's start there, Senator Abler. As you're talking to normal people, I get calls. I get random emails from people who are like, why can't we figure out how to take care of our grandparents? What do you think, like, take me behind the scenes in the caucus or in the negotiation. Is it that people don't care, they don't acknowledge it, or all about political chess and checkers and if you get yours, I get mine. What, what's been your history in the chair for the last few sessions? You know, it is amazing. And part of the problem is complicated. And part of the problem is so much money. Um, our, the budget that John and I share is currently $20 billion state and federal on the disability long-term care side, which is mammoth. And everybody is starving in that industry for money to pay their staff. They talk to a guy today who's uh, raises pay from 16 to 17 bucks. It used to be pretty good, but it's not drawing anybody and he's running down his reserves. And unfortunately, you have to infuse some more money. And there's, I thought there would be politics in this during the campaign because nursing homes are closing. People are backed right. up in the hospitals. Group homes are shutting down. And it never took off at all, even yet. Uh, what's interesting to people is housing and childcare and education because they kind of understand that. But if you have a relative who needs this, you care. 
Um, but it's, it's critically important. The most people with the greatest needs in Minnesota are under John's gavel right now, and I'm helping him. And that's where the need is. And so we're praying that the politics can get put aside. And this critically most important work can be attended to so people aren't uh, going to be in a driveway of a nursing home hoping to get in or unable to get the services they need. And people have literally died for not getting what they need. And it's horrible. You know, I've worked on these issues and I want to acknowledge that to the listeners and spirit of transparency. I've worked on long-term care issues before and may in the future. So I want to, I, I want to acknowledge that just to be transparent, but I understand that. So one of the mysteries or kind of behind the curtain issues at the legislature is what happens in caucus. So Senator Hoffman, you have a caucus that has a lot of new members. There's a lot of new energy. There's a lot of priorities like schools, like legalizing marijuana, like codifying abortion. Has senior issues up in caucus? Have you tried to raise them? And do you think that there's a, you know, there's, there is knowledge and or recognition that that senior care, human services care, people with disabilities is does need to be a priority in the budget this year. You know, and, and that's a great question, boys. And and the fact that the Senate made Senate file seven, the seventh, you know, it was this number seven of, of the priorities, right? That that tells you right there that under Senator Dietzik's watch, she's saying, yeah, this is a priority. What it looks like and how it looks like um, then gets lost because of the fact that all these other things got forwarded. I, in my first caucus with people, boys, I said, Here's what I don't understand. We we underspent $1.184 billion. And then we got FMAP, Federal Medi- Medi- Medical yep. Assistance Program money, right? So that gets you the $1.825 billion. That's just the state. When you look at that, you can actually double that number because there's a federal match on top of that $1.124 billion, you know, underspending. But what really gets me is we have 53,000 job openings in the caregiver profession, and the fact that 20% of the bed space in hospitals are people that should be either in a long-term care facility or assisted living or at home, getting home health aid services, right? Um, I mentioned the $1.825 billion enough times, right? When they always say you got to mention something seven times. I mentioned it enough times so now people understand. And the other day in, in a hearing... One of the one of the senators said, "Oh, by the way, Senator Hoffman, it, I, I understand there's 1.825 billion dollars in the in the surplus that should have been spent on on our population. So it's resonating. But you know what, boys? It's not making the front page of the Star Tribune or the Pioneer Press, or you know, it's not getting the conversations within Senate media. I mean, it's like it's almost like it's. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't come up with the word, but it's not." Um, it, it it it's doesn't have the spotlight, you know. It's like going yeah. to see going to see your favorite drummer boys, right? And um and it's like here's a guy that's uh playing a traditional grip versus matched grip. Nobody in the audience knows the difference, but I do, right? Or the fact is yeah. that in a Gretsch that was built in nineteen eighty six or he's playing some Sears drum set from nineteen seventy-four. <laughs> I know the difference, right? And so it's like there's a difference in this conversation, and um, I wish people would stop, start to spotlight that difference and say, wow, look at that Gretsch kit. Let's make this thing happen. So, Well, you know, I don't know about the drums, Senator Hoffman, but um, I know that 
Senator Adler knows about flat roofs versus pitched roofs and the need for <laughs> shoveling on them. So Senator Abler, you've had to shovel a lot off of flat roofs lately, and maybe you'll start to think about pitched roofs. But uh, Senator Abler, I want to bring, I want to tie this back to what Senator Hoffman said about this unspent money. Because if you were having a house project done and the contractor got done and said, hey, you had one point billion that I didn't spend on your project, what would you like it spent on? Because I know you already allocated it to be spent. Doesn't that create agency possibilities early on because that money should have been, could have been, was allocated to be spent last year. And maybe we need to move it quicker so that it doesn't become a hot potato at the end of session. Senator Abler, is that something that is a possibility this year? Well, you just described uh, Senator Hoffman's strategy uh, in trying to push this to the head of the line. And I just want to, four roofs I shoveled today, thanks. Um, and uh, you know, it keeps you warm more than once. Um, the, uh, but I want to commend the Senate in a bipartisan way. Last year, the Senate, by an overwhelming majority vote, voted to spend a billion dollars on long-term care. And I got my caucus to agree. And if you haven't noticed my caucus, they're not big, there was a big spending debate. But they yeah. realized there was a need to put a billion dollars into this. And the updated number for four years is the 1.825. That's where that number comes. And curiously is covered by underspending and this extra federal money that came due to human services. And uh, yep. the governor just does not seem to think this is a priority. We've been pushing them and pushing them. Uh, the House struggles with this as a priority. We struggled with it last year. They um, want to do it on the cheap. And unfortunately, you can't. And um, if you give... 100,000 workers, $1,000, it's $100 million. Uh, yeah. That's the kind of money this takes. And it's like, and that doesn't even get you there. That's just the hiring bonus or the retention bonus. And, and so yeah. it's big money, but huge needs. And everybody says, oh, we care about the people. The Democrats yeah. say, oh, we care about people. Oh, we care about yeah. them. Republicans say that. And so it's time to pony up and actually really care. And so, um, so we're, we're trying to, Senator Hoffman is trying to encourage uh, his crew to get a yep. hold of this. And I think our, our, the Republicans are closer, way closer to supporting this. because I think they uh, understand the need uh, with the connections to their nursing homes and all that from before. Um, but it is time. And if not, this industry is going to collapse. People are going to die. People it's, will be displaced. They'll be sitting in some horrible place, languishing, watching Oprah all day, which um, seems like a terrifying thought to me. Oh, you get a car, I get a car, Senator Hoffman gets a horse. I don't even get a car. You know what's really sad about that statement, boys, is you look at that and you say, okay, um, I'm tired of people, you know, dying. You know, there was just a Mahmoud Noor's Senate in his district, right? There was a gentleman who died of of an overdose, right? And it's like, where are those supports that should be in place here? I mean, it's just like, here we go once again, or the gentleman that, you know, had his legs amputated because you couldn't get home health aid services in there to, you know, to work and support him. Right. And, and, and it reminds well, me of doing now, Senator Hoffman, how's he doing that? How's that uh, well, he, you know, he passed away, Jim, and, and it's really, he it's died. yeah. And Chris Sears said he that it was a preventable care. death. It was a preventable death. Hey, nothing I, I to see here. That. Nothing to see here. And I'm sick of thoughts and prayers. I'm tired of people going, Oh, that's just sad. Well, guess what? 
there's a nursing home in, in New Hope that's going to close its doors because there's $7 million in, 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 in debt right now, right? Because of the fact of this, in your arrears 18 months ago, we're going to pay you, but they were able to hold their debt for a while. You know, Shalom Home, you ever heard of that organization? Yes. Uh, thousand people live in their place. Well, look at they're they're sitting there financially. If we don't do something five years yes. from now, boys, they're going to shut their doors down. And it's not a threat, but it's like, okay, where do these people that are living in the nursing homes go? Well, mandated services. There are fifteen in Medicaid, right? One of them has yes. hospitalization, so they go to the hospitals. Oh, oops, hospitals are full. So yeah. there's, a, there's a systemic issue here that I think we need to do. And I'm tired of thoughts and prayers or this is so sad or would you settle for this? I'm tired of settling. And so when you talk about the number of senators, when you talk about the, how close the Senate is, I think, boys, um, you know, we need to leverage that to the point where there's folks out there that we should be really talking loudly about and caring for. Right. And, and I'm yep. just um, that's my point. Senator Hoffman, I, I, I want to wrap this up because we're running against time. But I also, there's one person that Senator Abler mentioned that has not kind of amplified this, and that's the governor. What kind of, without giving away all the secrets, what kind of conversations have you had with the governor on this issue? <laughs> that was for Senator that Hoffman. Funny. That was funny. Sorry. I was just laughing. Um, you know, the, the governor called, uh, the governor called me last week to, uh, congratulate me on, 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 you know, he's calling all the chairs and, yeah. and I have not had a chance. I've talked to his staff and, um, there, there seems to be, um, yeah, I have not just to the point I've not talked to him and it's really, you know, to me, I'm, I, I wish, I wish we could talk about because we got, you know, we got opioid problems in the state of Minnesota. We got mental health problems in the state of Minnesota. Your homeless population, right? It's not just yep. the one bucket homeless, but it's co-occurring. 90, look at the Wilder study that does it. Look at the people that are in jails. 75% of the people in jails have some kind of co-occurring condition, right? Yep. What's going on, boys? It's like, help us. Help us get the rest of the spotlight out there because, you know, um, I, I wish somebody would, would just care, you know? I mean, I really do. I want somebody... I say it make a statement and 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 say it right um you know i i sit there and listen to to people have their conversations or their speeches and i wait for them to say something like oh we believe in equity for people with disabilities and i never hear that we believe that grandpa and grandma need to be taken care of and people with disabilities matter i never hear that right i am not hearing that boys and um I'm starting to get really frustrated and we're early in the session. So how's that one for you? That's just not okay. In my book, it's not okay. And it won't be okay. And so um, I wish we would engage more. Um, I, I wish people would have put the spotlight on this, but you know what? Yep. They say? You put wish in one hand and a rock in the other and, 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 uh, and see which one, you know, you feel first. Right. So um uh, that's supposed to be funny, but I'm not funny in this case. <laughs> no, it's, these are serious issues. And I, I just want to say, um, I wanted both of you on together because of your shared passion for these issues. We could do three hours on this topic because I know your passion and your knowledge on these topics, but I just want to thank you both. <laughs> Last question for each of you, Abler, Senator Abler, you get to go first. What's one word describes your relationship with Senator Hoffman Senator Hoffman, you're going to get the same question about Senator Abel. Trust. Senator authentic. Hoffman, authentic. 
Awesome. Senators, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Hey, God bless. Thanks. Thanks, boys. See you later. Next, Mary LaHammer on the fast start to the session and what she sees from the legislature and the governor's office. I'm Blaise Olson. This is Sunday Take on News Talk 830, UCCO. She's back on Sunday Take, my friend Mary LaHammer. She's at the Capitol every day. She's tracking it. And there's all this buzz and hype about speed of which they're getting things done and the bills they're moving and the issues they address. But I wanted a reality check in the name of Pat Kessler with Mary Hammer because she's much more grounded than Kessler ever was. Mary, thanks for joining me. Thank you, boys. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, you know... Um, I haven't been to the Capitol much, but I keep getting these vibes and this feeling and leaders are talking about it that, you know, there's, there's all this speed. So let's just do kind of a set the scene of the first two weeks at the Capitol. Obviously the tax conformity bill got signed on Thursday. That's big. We're, there's a lot of talk about marijuana. There's a lot of talk about uh, codifying abortion rights. Other than that, how does the Capitol feel in the first two weeks? The Capitol feels transformed, quite honestly. I know both of us have spent a lot of our time meeting all the freshmen. There are dozens and dozens of them. One of the largest classes, you know, really in a generation, the largest freshman class since uh, 1973. So just the new lawmakers bring kind of new life and new perspective. But perhaps even more important, because we know how the place really works, new leaders. And this is what I asked the governor at that bill signing is how much of a difference, frankly, does it make to have new leaders, every single caucus, House, Senate, Democrats, Republicans, every single one has a new leader in it. And the governor said, you know, not to disparage the previous leaders, but it matters. He said it mattered a heck of a lot. And you can feel the difference on a Wednesday almanac at the Capitol. I had the new House leaders, long majority leader, minority leader, Damoth. I said afterwards, I've never seen two legislative leaders get along and genuinely appear to like each other so much. We had just watched minutes before passage of the Crown Act. This is the, the update to the human rights law yep. that we have not to discriminate against hair. Lisa Damoth is the first woman, the first black woman to ever lead House Republicans. She voted for it. Not all of her caucus did. And I didn't know at the time Long talked about the fact he, too, just like Damoth, is from a multiracial, biracial family and that these were real concerns. And you could see them looking at each other, accepting each other, bonding. You know, I, I'm skeptical enough to know this isn't going to last. But boy, is it off to a very different start. Mary. You bring that up because I do think that that does matter. I also think that um, Speaker Hortman, being the one non-new leader, um, is of a personality and frankly energized that the idea that she gets to lead a caucus with this Democratic hat trick, as our friend Eric Eskola calls it. Thank you um, for doing that as a hockey, soccer yeah, Damn. no, I mean, we just, Patrick, we have to, not trifecta. We, no, <laughs> I was bored with trifecta after like three days. So I'm happy to call it a hat trick, but um, they're going to have tensions. But I think my next question is um, there are other issues that aren't getting covered that are going to come up, um, whether it's taxes, the tax bill, uh, rebate checks, 
Um, they seem to be Democrats seem to be avoiding issues that they may have uh, differences on. Is that your sense that they're trying to just create a bunch of momentum? Somewhat, but you are seeing it in the minutia of committee, you know, which doesn't get all the bright lights and attention. But I'm watching, for example, the marijuana legalization bill go through, and there's a lot of tension in committee on that. And Republicans are frustrated. They are not unanimously supporting or opposing this. Their leader says, you know, there is support in her caucus. But along the way, members are frustrated because they they want to be able to amend the bill. And they're worried about some of the repercussions potentially. And they're frustrated that their amendments can't stick. This is what happens when you're in the minority, especially in the House, they are showing greater discipline on keeping the caucus together. What we have noticed already in the Senate, just even on day one in the rules fight on issues like remote voting, bipartisan vote. People broke off on Democrat and Republican side of the aisle on allowing water. Senators can now drink water on the Senate floor. That was, again, bipartisan, break off, freshmen, some of the moderates. There there is a group of moderate. We're watching especially the Republican women in the Senate. There's only three left. Not one new Republican woman came in. There's three left. Those three, I think, are free agents on all the bills. There's a handful of moderate Democrats who won in swing districts, two of them from rural areas, a couple of them from suburban, exurban areas. So I think we have three to four votes in the Senate in both caucuses that could swing either way. And that could get ugly. We're seeing the Senate with some long knockdown, yes. knockdown drag out debates. They've turned into the House. You know, it's funny you say that because that's exactly what I've been thinking is the Senate is feeling a lot like the House on these knockdown drag out debates. And you're right. Three to four votes from either caucus that could go either way. The other the other thing I just want to understand and maybe give listeners a a sense is how fast do you, in reality, how quickly can um, the marijuana legalization get done? Because not only does it have to go through a lot of committees in the House, we don't know if Senate Democrats have the votes to pass it. And, you know, one source said to me, it's going to depend on what the bill looks like when it comes over, or if the Senate's going to wait for it to come over. That creates a whole different timeline. Yeah, marijuana legalization is not a slam dunk. And the reason it's not is the state Senate. They have not heard this. The House has already introduced the bill. They basically reintroduced a very similar bill. And it is thick. It is huge. It is complicated. Minnesota's trying to learn from other states what has worked elsewhere and what hasn't. The House has the votes. We know that. The House can move quickly. We know that. The Senate, as you mentioned, is completely the wild card. And so far, all the signals are that the Senate's going to move very slowly, very cautiously. Again, they have three, four members who are in swing districts. And who knows what the dynamics are in terms of Democrats and Republicans. It might have to be a bipartisan coalition to get it through the Senate, for sure. As we kind of wrap here, my guest is Mary LaHammer. We're talking on Sunday Take. Mary, um, what does the feel of covering it feel like compared? I mean, there's a lot of new, there's a lot of, there's, I mean, the advisories that are kind of flowing. And one thing I've noticed, and I talked about in the opening take, is Republicans aren't trying to sell much right now. They are out there just kind of, I feel like, holding some energy back, kind of getting themselves organized with new leaders themselves. They're 
I think they're prepping for later in the session when they push back harder or they offer their own proposals. What does it feel like at the Capitol without kind of this they said they versus they said dynamic that we're we've gotten so used to over the last couple of years? This is a great inside baseball point because I've been quietly talking about who is reacting and who isn't. And I I was really surprised on budget forecast day, the historic largest budget surplus in state history, almost $18 billion. Senate Republicans didn't react in person. They didn't send someone. And again, first day of session, we had, you know, advisories come from three of the four caucuses. Again, Senate Republicans, I don't believe, I'll double check this, you know, I don't believe they officially said we're going to react this time, this place. So I think they have a new leader. They're still figuring it out. What's interesting is this brand new leader, Lisa Damoth, who people did not know well, she is front and center. She's doing a ton of media. She's coming off as very likable, very agreeable. She's really good on camera. You know, she had, I'd never done a television interview. She'd never done one. I don't think in her life before she was elected and, you know, the feedback we got the second she was on air, people said she's a natural. So she likes the press. She's talking and she's kind of becoming the de facto sports spokesperson for all Republicans. Well, and I think it's interesting because I had obviously met her previously. And when her name came to me in a text while they were still deciding my first reaction was every time I've met her, she's just been like, hi, how are you? Like just normal kind of, you know, not posturing, just kind of curious. I think she has a genuine like curiosity about people and wants to talk to people and know people. And just the idea that she first got elected in a write-in school board race, I think is somewhat telling of, uh, of someone who's out there. Um, it is inside baseball. So as we look to the week ahead um, and the budget to the walls administration, they too seem to be obviously excited, yeah. but um, I think they really feel like they're getting their um, they're trying to be really aligned and really intentional. Um, unlike they've had to be before or, I don't know. I'm I'm just what's your sense of the way the administration is kind of getting their ducks in a row with new commissioners, et cetera? Absolutely. And, you know, this is a home run for them out of the gate with new commissioner hiring a former lawmaker, former tax chair, moderate, well-liked, both sides of the aisle, bipartisan lawmaker, Paul Morcourt. No accident that he is the commissioner that helped shepherd right. the first bill signed into law. So that certainly speaks to this togetherness from Democrats. And you bet he's excited. A little inside baseball. It's in my story Friday on Almanac. The governor was so excited about the bill, he forgot to sign it. I had to remind him. He said, OK, we're ready for questions. And I was looking at the pens and the bills and I had to kind of whisper, Governor, are you going to actually sign the bill first? Oh, gosh, he almost forgot. Oh, just kidding. You know, they are so excited they can hardly get over themselves. <laughs> um, well, I think that giddiness is also a sign that the governor, unlike previous governors, may not exactly know or have an, an intentional way in which He's going to kind of lead through the session. And that, I think, is going to be telling because he's negotiated more like a legislator, these other budgets. And here it would be his chance to kind of use the bully pulpit. Um, And I think he's going to act more like a legislator again. 
And again, he has new legislators to work with. I think this is where Hortman maybe has the advantage as the only returning lawmaker and kind of the seasoned one in the group. But you could tell the governor was excited. He had all the Republican leaders there, too, from the House and the Senate. And the leads from both tax committees. And yep. that's smart. Even though lawmakers might pretend to dislike the governor, who doesn't like going to the fancy reception room and standing in front of all those cameras clicking and looking good? Well, I'll just say it as we wrap. I think one of the biggest criticisms of the Walls administration in the first four years was that their legislative operation was not sharp, did not build relationships. COVID had a lot to do with that. But I think they know they have to have relationships to make sure, even with Democrats, that they um, can't just ask for stuff or they have to be engaged early. And you're right. I think that they can do, you think of Greg Davids and Tim Walls, they can disagree, but they're both from Southern Minnesota. And David's tone is probably going to be a little different if the governor is engaged in trying to figure out this tax stuff. Not to mention the governor might need Republicans to get his checks more than he needs DFLers. Absolutely. Yeah. Those checks might be popular, but they haven't been very popular with Democratic lawmakers. They're popular with the public and Republicans want tax cuts, however they can get them. Social Security and I think rebate checks. We could see a bipartisan coalition. For sure. Mary Hammer, thanks for joining me on the Sunday Take. Thanks for listening this week. Now you guys can all get up, get geared up for that Vikings game later today. The huddle's next with Schwartz. And Nigerian, and I'm sure they're going to go deep on the purple. I'm Blois Olson until Monday morning at 620 with Adam Carter this week. That is the Sunday take. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.